Welcome to Reapproaching Christ, the podcast where we love the scriptures and bring you contemporary insights into the scriptures and Christ's perfect messages for our day. I'm your host, Dr. John Dunn. Welcome back to the podcast. As we come to you this week, you're all aware of the terrible conflict that's broken out in the Middle East. This is nothing new. We've studied that in the Old Testament. We learn about in the New Testament and these incredible divisions among people, all God's children have been going on for centuries and centuries. And now the weaponry is escalating the amount of angry rhetoric, thanks to social media, is being elevated to an elevation that it's never seen before. Very, very vitriolic comments are being made that are spread worldwide immediately. And so many people are speaking out of hatred. They're speaking quickly. They're speaking without thinking. And so much of this is absolutely not to surprise us. In the New Testament, Paul, the apostle, is writing to Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he perfectly describes our age, that we should not be surprised by this. If we've been reading our scriptures, which we love, it's a warning to us. We've been warned. We've been pre-warned. In chapter 3 in 2 Timothy, Paul says, in these last days, perilous times shall come. We are certainly in perilous times. As the weaponry is exceeding any expectations, we've got sabers rattling all over the world. And now we have this conflict in the Middle East where things are coming to a head and the weapons are being exchanged right before our eyes. What Paul is trying to get across to Timothy is that there's a reason behind this. And the reason behind this is that Satan is influencing those that he would have destroy the gospel. That is the basic message he has here. And he says exactly how Satan will get these people to think differently than Christ. He says in chapter 3 that these men will be disobedient and unthankful. They won't be concentrating on what they have. They'll be concentrating on what they want, what they say they want back. Everybody's looking at the grass on the other side of the fence and it always appears greener. They are being disobedient and they're being thankless. And that's what breeds all of this insecurity. It breeds all this hatred. He says that these men, and we're talking about terrorists now, he perfectly describes the terrorists that are actually working in the Middle East at this time. This is how Paul, back in the New Testament times, described these people. They are without natural affection. That's obvious by watching the news. If you can go out and perform the atrocities and the barbaric atrocities that we've seen and been exposed to in the past week, where women, children, babies have been cut down mercilessly in cold blood, these people can't see that these were children of God. They're actual brothers and sisters in Christ. All they see through the haze of Satan is hatred. And they demonize people. They have no natural affection for others. Paul lays that out quite explicitly. They're without natural affection. They're truce breakers. There has been peace in the Middle East for sometimes fairly extended periods of time. But there's always Satan working behind the scenes, riling people up, 
convincing them that they've been wronged and that they need to take steps through violence to make themselves heard. This is all about the adversary influencing people to do things that Christ would never have you do. False accusers, very much like the missile attack that hit the hospital in Gaza, falsely accusing the Israeli defense forces for that missile when the evidence is very clear that it came from the other side. Faulty missile, but yet social media has taken this, it's run with it, and all over the world, people are being condemned and falsely accused, just as Paul describes. It's a perfect description of our day. They're incontinent. What does that mean? It means they're not able to control themselves. They are out of control. They're fierce and despisers of those that are good. All of those things that describe the terrorists, Paul lays out for Timothy and says, in the future, these will be perilous times. This is exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be no surprise because Satan is going to rage in this world. Now, when we're watching that rage, and by the way, the adversary is calling out through all of these individuals for a day of rage and then a day of extraordinary rage where people will harm others. They will target specific groups and they will try and destroy them by any violent means necessary. Now, in the midst of all of this, what are we to do? Paul assures Timothy of something. In verse 10, he says, Timothy, you have fully known my doctrine. Now, what is doctrine? Gospel doctrine is the way things really work in the world, God's real standards, God's real laws, how he would have us act. And you've fully known those. Timothy, you have fully known those. You're aware. Embracing the gospel, embracing Christ, you know the doctrine. You know the manner of life that you should be embarking upon. You have purpose and faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience. All those things that we don't see exemplified by the terrorists. You, on the other hand, being the salt of the earth, you're the one who can preserve Christ's perfect attributes. He goes on to say about these evil men, verse 13, these evil men will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now think about that for a minute. We need to recognize when we see the evil, those were words, they were once our brothers and sisters in Christ who've gone off the beam. Why? Because they've listened to the philosophies of men. They've listened to the temptations of the world, the seducers. They've been taught that there's a different philosophy that in the short term will make them happier or richer or more powerful or more influential. And they absorb that and they've not let the spirit touch them. They've been deceived. They are deceivers. They're influencers, but they themselves have been deceived. And that's part of what Paul's message is here, that we need to look at them, even the terrorists, as our brothers and sisters who for some reason have been deceived. They weren't born that way. They've been taught that way. And Satan's the one who has been teaching them through his intermediaries and his agents. So why did Christ perform the atonement? Why did Christ die on the cross? And when we say for us, us is 
all humanity. That includes the terrorists who were once born as innocent children of God. He came to save them as well. Now, they may refuse to be saved. They may refuse to listen to Christ, but he came to save them as well. And as he's merciful, hopefully we can understand why these people are acting the way they are and not just blindly hate them as they hate us and other good people throughout the world. It says here, verse 14, I love this, to Timothy. Paul says, but you, you have not been deceived, right? You're currently not deceived. You could have been deceived in the past, but you're not deceived now. Continue in those things that you have learned and been assured of. And then he says something really interesting. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the light of Christ. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. You need to consider and recognize the source of the light that you've been given. And that's Jesus Christ and his apostles and his teachers. He says here, back in Ephesians, I love this, in Ephesians chapter 5, he kind of describes that. He was talking to the Ephesians who weren't always on the beam. They weren't always in the center of the road. He says in chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 8, you were sometimes in darkness. Now, that's the past. We're going to put the past behind us. That's what the atonement's all about. We can forget about past mistakes. We can put them behind us. We can reform. We can refine ourselves. This is what it's about. We are now, he says to them, you are children of light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Follow through on the truth you've been given. Walk as a representative, as an ambassador of Christ. That is the message here. In the midst of all the turmoil, be an ambassador for Christ. Don't get caught up in the hatred. Don't let Satan influence you. Don't strike back, eye for an eye, nose for a nose. And he tells, here's talking to the Ephesians, Paul tells them, have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. Now, what would that be today? Don't follow after the philosophies of men. Think about the source that you found your truth. Don't believe other sources of quote-unquote my truth, because there's only one truth. It's the truth. It's Christ's truth. And don't establish fellowship with the, with the darkness. And that could mean be very careful who you associate with. If they promote Christ and the gospel, that's great. If they're all about hatred and vitriol and revenge, that's we're seeing a lot of college campuses now erupt in demonstrations and protests. And young, impressionable college students, they are being led to call for the death of certain groups. It's almost unbelievable that these young people at this point can be so swayed by the adversary that they will call out in public for the death of some of our brothers and sisters. So in the midst of this, what would Christ have us do? There's a great and wonderful exposition in this, Paul writing to the Colossians. In chapter 3 of Colossians, he emphasizes in verse 1, if, you're, if you are risen with Christ, if you believe in the atonement, if you have faith in the atonement of Christ, and you seek the things which are above, where he sits on the right hand of God, think about that. Set your affection on the things above and not the things on the earth. Have a higher form of consciousness. 
Think about the good things. Seek after the good things, the permanent things. Everything here on the earth is very temporary. We've talked about that before. We always seek for the permanent, and the permanent is what we find in Christ. And he specifically in Colossians, he exposes what we should eliminate from our lives. It's beautiful. He says, now put off all of these things, anger, wrath, and malice. Put those things away. Put the swords away. Now, does that sound like something that's going on in today's world? Yes. All over social media in the past week, there was a call for a day of rage. And after that, a day of extraordinary rage. That exemplifies anger, wrath, and malice. And these are the things that if we will put aside, we'll become more Christ-like. We will start to incorporate his attributes into our lives and be the people God wants us to be. We're also supposed to put off the following things. Filthy communication. People have this incredible hatred in their communication now. And they're not listening to each other. They're trying to talk over and scream over each other. Take filthy, filthy communications out of your mouth. Lie not to one another. Seek the truth, as he Paul, said, Paul said previously. Know the source of your truth. You've been given the truth. Remember where it came from. And this is the bottom line on all of this. Verse 9, put off the old man with his deeds. So this is about transforming us in the midst of all this turmoil, all of these conditions of incredible challenge. We're to put off the old man. We're to transform ourselves and seek after Christ. We're to reapproach Christ and find out what his attributes are, what we can incorporate in our own lives, and how we can improve. Now, this goes back to thinking globally. We're supposed to have this circle of concern that absolutely includes the Middle East, absolutely includes Taiwan and China and Africa, all the places in the Ukraine that are under incredible siege right now. And we're supposed to care about that very deeply. But often, we're not diplomats, and we're not generals, and we're not heads of state. Most of us aren't. So those of us who aren't can do what? We can think globally, but act locally. We can be the salt of the earth. We can absolutely transform our local communities, hold our families and friends together, and seek out the highest standards that the Lord gives us. The way that Paul describes that is put on the new man. We become a new creature in Christ when we do that. When we can stop talking to the TV with a great deal of anger and revenge and malice and put on this new man, become a new creature. He says this is how you do it. You are renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created you. So we are to get Christ's countenance in our heads, on our faces, and just absolutely imbue all the qualities that Christ has. And when we do that, we're going to find out that we're not separated by all of these differences. He says in verse 11, we're in Colossians chapter 3 again, you're going to get to a point, if you're like Christ, where there, he says, is neither Greek nor Jew, nor circumcision nor uncircumcision, no barbarian or Scythian, no bond nor free, no slaves, but Christ is all and in all. So everybody is 
absolutely encouraged to start following Christ. Reapproach Christ, look at his attributes, and you won't see others as groups that are separated from you, that are pigeonholed, that are stereotyped. They're all your brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all God's children. And you'll start to recognize that, which is beautiful. He put it earlier. Has Christ, he said to the Galatians, has Christ been formed in you? Now, before in the New Testament, we heard that we're the potter's clay. The potter is trying to form us and shape us into what? Creatures like him, so that we can be more like Christ, happier, more fulfilled, have more purpose, have more faith. Those are attributes that we're, we're after. So it says, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, mercies. Again, be understanding towards those who aren't living the standards that you have discovered, that you know that God wants you to live. Think of those people and say, I wonder how Satan got to him. I wonder how Satan got to her. What was it? What was the temptation that was presented before them that led them off the path that leads to Christ? What was it that got them off the path? Think of them as a brother and sister and say, hey, what were you thinking? What went wrong? How'd you get to this place? Not just, we hate you, we need to kill you. I love this. He says, put on therefore as the elect of God, kindness. And if you think of kindness, kindness is an action. To be kind, you have to be friendly, and you have to be understanding, and you have to be charitable. Kindness is an action. You can't just have it philosophically in you. Kindness has to be expressed. And that is something that Christ did at every turn. You know, Christ wasn't built for speed, was he? When he was on his way to do something, he's the greatest multitasker in the world. But he always saw whoever was in front of him with complete engagement. He looked him right in the A, right in the eye. He engaged them. He was absolutely there and present with them. And that's what we're after here, being present with those that we meet, engaging with those we meet, and being kind. As the elect of God, we're also supposed to be humble and mindful and meek and patient. All those things are very difficult to achieve in this age. But if we stop talking back to the TV and we start engaging with those around us, we will learn, as it says in verse 13, to forbear each other, to forgive one another. If you have a quarrel, remember that Christ forgave you and try to forgive them in turn. You know, we none of us want complete and, and, and utter judgment. We don't want that. We don't want to be judged. And we want God to be merciful and not just enforce justice on us. And we're pleading with God for that. We plead with the Savior, please look at me with mercy. We need, if we're willing to beg for that, shouldn't we offer that to others? And that's one of Paul's main points to Timothy here. Think about the atonement for a minute. Where was the atonement worked out? It worked out on our world. Now, Christ has made worlds without number. And if we look through the new telescope images we're getting, you look at the wonders of the universe and see how many planets there must be, right? He worked out his atonement on this planet. Why is that? Well, think about pro sports for a minute. If you're Michael Jordan and you want to be the best basketball player ever, 
where do you have to play to reach that level? You have to play on the biggest stage against the best players. Michael has to play Kareem, and Kareem has to play Larry, and Larry has to play Magic Johnson. It goes on and on. Magic Johnson has to play, you know, against LeBron. All it's it's, it's the league, right? This is the highest caliber of play. So everybody's always arguing among all those great players who played in different eras, right? Who's the greatest of all time? Well, we know who the greatest of all time is. The ultimate goat is Jesus Christ. So where did Jesus Christ have to work out the atonement? On the biggest stage against the cruelest challenges in the universe. Now think about that. The people who were condemning him and tormenting him, torturing him, they had to be the worst of the worst. He had to overcome that and forgive even them and say, forgive them. They know not what they do. I understand that they have been misled by Satan. It had to occur on the worst possible stage against the worst possible enemies, which means that you and I, we've been called by God to reside on this planet. It is the toughest road in the entire universe. Christ had to walk the road here on earth, on our earth, and we do too. But that's how much faith that God has in you, that you can make it in this, the cruelest of all worlds. I heard a great joke the other day. One of our friends said, did you know that you know, we're all talking about UFOs now? They have UFO conferences in Congress and the Pentagon. When aliens fly by Earth, they all lock their doors. And there's a reason for that. Because Christ worked out the atonement here because there is so much of a challenge. If he'd worked it out anywhere else and the challenges were not as great, wouldn't have covered the challenges on this world. So think about that. You're so blessed because God has faith in you that you can withstand these challenges and bring about changes in the world. Paul goes on to tell Timothy, above all, have charity, which is the perfect bond between people. When you hear that terrorists have no natural affection, you're the opposite. You care about people. You love people. You engage with people. So this is what he says. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. You're called to one body and to be thankful. We're to unify. And what does that mean? Whatever we do, we do it heartily unto the Lord. We try and embrace and encourage all to come. We should be inviting and hospitable. And when we talk to others, so much of the rhetoric now is angry and is calling for these days of rage. Chapter 4, Paul tells the Colossians this. Let your speech always be with grace. Think of Christ. He is not one to raise his voice and snap angrily even at his tormentors. He was always refined. There was no coarseness in him. He was measured and restrained. You know, he had the power of Almighty God to snap his fingers, and those tormentors could have been gone in a second. And yet he restrained himself from doing that. He had a journey 
to go through, a process to go through. The will of his father was what? Work out the atonement. Be a sacrifice for all of your brothers and sisters. That's why we need to emulate him, and all of our speech should be with grace. Seasoned with salt. I love that. What does seasoned with salt mean? To me, it means that it's a symbolism of gospel covenants, those promises we make between us and God, and it's the preservation of gospel truth. Salt is a great preservative. We're supposed to be the salt of the earth. Make your speech seasoned with salt, preserving the truth that you have, knowing the source it comes from. That you may know, says Paul, how you ought to answer every man. So in this day of rage, in a day of extraordinary rage that's being promoted around the world, in the midst of conflict, we should not be surprised by any of it. Our barometer should be how much we talk back to people, how much we talk back to the TV. All of that should be moderated by our hope and our faith in Christ. He worked it out here in the atonement so we could be saved. All of this goes to reapproaching Christ and seeing him in the greatest light possible, receiving the light he gives us, recognizing its source from our Heavenly Father, from the Holy Ghost, and from Christ himself, and going forth as better citizens, better friends, better family members. In the midst of all this turmoil, I pray today that you'll have some peace, some confidence, and you can work heartily at everything you do for the Lord. Look forward to seeing you next time in the podcast. I'm John Dunn.